Hey, this is Brent Jensen, and you're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. And folks, today I am thrilled to be hosting guitar player extraordinaire Mr. Steve Lynch. Steve is probably best known as being the lead guitarist from Autograph. Steve, welcome to the show. It is a pleasure to have you. I'm a big fan, man. And thank you, Brent. Really, really a pleasure to be with you. Thanks, man. Uh, so, Steve, Autograph's biggest hit, Turn Up the Radio, you know, is one of those songs that definitely makes my skin vibrate. I was nuts for that song in 1985, and, uh, you know, I still am. But back then, I taped the video on my VCR, and I used to watch you play that solo over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. You know, and, and I heard the song in the car the other day, and that's, that's you know, what led to this, uh, to this conversation, because I just kind of reached out on a lark after I heard the song, and I cranked it. And I said, you know, I'm going to reach out to Steve Lynch and see if I can get him on the show. And you graciously responded, so, uh, so here we are. That's right. You know, that's all it takes. You just reached out to me, and uh, we are able to connect. <laughs> um, so, Turn Up the Radio, I don't think it's even one of your fave tunes, is it really? What, Turn Up the Radio? Yeah. Well, you know, I really like the song, um, All I'm Gonna Take. Okay. That's one that we play live, and, and it goes over really well, almost as well as Turn Up the Radio. Of course, that's the kind of our staple, everybody recognizes by that song. And, uh, but realistically, there are songs on, on the second and third album that I really like as well, but I mm -hmm. thought were better written. It's just that this one... Um, it, it just really stuck out because it's called Turn Up the Radio. And, you know, back in the 80s, it was all about having fun, partying and everything. And, yeah. and it was all about positive energy, mm -hmm. um, and which I was, I was kind of really let down when the 90s came along and uh, the whole grunge scene came in. It was all about, you know, suicide, yeah. uh, heroin addiction and depression. Yeah. You know, and I went, that's you can't even sing along with that stuff. <laughs> Why would you want to? But, um, you know, it's funny, RCA didn't even want us to put turn up the radio on the album and we actually fought with them about it we recorded it in the studio without them knowing about it and really? uh, then we, they listened to it you know with the, the final studio version and they said hey, yeah this is kind of a catchy song you know we'll release it after the first release which was going to be uh centered to me yeah and i said uh no uh i don't think that's going to work i think turn up the radio would be a really cool song for radio stations ah. and i had this idea of, of um calling up all the radio stations and saying you know all of us together in the band saying you know um we made these recordings in the studio saying or this is autograph on kbzy radio turn it up you know and and the radio stations went nuts over that <laughs> we did two eight-hour days saying the call letters and saying that you know in a variation of that to all these different stations. That's and they great. absolutely loved it. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, it's a fantastic song. I remember back then that song was everywhere and people loved it. Oh yeah. You know, and still I, I mean it's it, in movies, it's in it's in TV shows like you know, you know like um, Miami Vice and everything used yeah. a couple of times. And so, you know, just just a, it really got some great exposure and it ended up being number 93 of uh, most liked and most requested songs of the history of rock and roll. I yeah. mean, it's just underneath 100, but it's still, to get a song in the top 100, uh, you know, I think that's quite an accomplishment. I mean, for all time, for like from the 50s on up to, you know, uh, current day. So I think that that was really an accomplishment. Absolutely. That's an incredible achievement. You should be very proud of that. But yeah, I'm not surprised because I, there's just something about that song, Steve, that just, it, it has my number. Like it, it's so catchy. 
Right, it, it really is. I mean, the riff in the beginning, Yeah. you know, they had different people on talking about it, like, uh, you know, um, Tommy Lee f- from Motley Crue and everything, and all these different musicians that, yeah. uh, most of them were L.A. musicians that were hanging out at the same time that we were down there, Yeah. Um, playing the Sunset Strip a lot, and all the clubs down there, mm-hmm. and uh, Tommy Lee and all these other people, like Brent Michaels and... Uh, and just a, a ton of people were commenting on the song. They said, God, when that first riff just comes in, it just it just catches you. Yeah. Just how it builds up and that, that kind of an eerie um, intro to it. Yeah. Um, it just it caught everybody's attention and everybody really wanted to be a part of it. You turn it up as soon as you start hearing it. Yeah. You know, the beginning of that song is probably my favorite, you know, aspect of it is that build right. up. And then when the, you know, when the drums come in, especially the snare, it's like, look out, man. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. And you know what we did with the snare? The reason why that snare sounds like that yeah. is we actually went into the studio. Um, with, we went into the back of the studio and there was these stacks of, uh, of cement bags and um, we fired like a 308 into it and we fired like a 20 gauge shotgun and everything no and then we we took all all of those yeah and then we put them together with the sound of kenny snare yeah and then a couple of other snares combined and it just made it sound huge huge so when you hear that bat especially on the breakdown of the song yeah then we really turned it up in there though it's mainly gunshots that you're hearing no way that's yeah. hilarious <laughs> we had all kinds of weird little ideas like that, you know. Where, that is so cool. Wow. Yeah, but that's what it is. You're hearing gunshots. So. It, it, well, it's literally, literally, it sounds like it. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. That's a great little. Yeah, fact. when you, I when love you that. think back and you listen, next time you hear it, then you'll go, "That's gunshots there." That's what it is. You know, most people don't realize that, you know, unless you're an avid hunter or something. But that is what it is. Yeah. That is so cool. And it's funny because it's in perfect lockstep with that kind of 80s snare sound, right? Like that crack. So you guys right, really. Exactly. It yeah. definitely gets your attention. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So great. Um, Steve, you're known as the two handed guitarist in a lot of circles. Mm-hmm. And, and you started tapping in the 70s. I think people maybe tapped a little bit. I think about guys like Paige and maybe Frehley would do like hammer-ons and stuff like that, but nothing extensive. You played with all eight fingers. How did that come to be? Well, when I started out doing it, it was probably about 1970. Okay. When I was or 71, when I was 15, 16 years old. That like early, that. eh? Yeah, a long time ago. And, okay. And um, I saw Harvey Mandel. He used to play guitar for John Mayall and the Blues Breakers. Yep. Um, I saw him play. He was doing a, a solo tour, and, and um, he was doing some of that stuff while, during sound check. I was able to look through the back door and see him doing sound check. Oh, really? And um, I went, wow, that's really cool. You know, I'd kind of toyed around with it a little bit, but, uh, yeah. you know, I, I got the idea from him. And then this other guy in Seattle, Steve Buffington, was doing it. Okay. And he showed me a few little tricks, you know, using a couple fingers. And so I was kind of already into that kind of thing. But yep. when... I was going to the Guitar Institute back in 1978. Mm -hmm. There was a guy, Emmett Chapman, that came in and did a clinic. And he's the inventor of the Chapman stick that you play with with both hands. And and it's very complicated. With your left hand, you're playing the bass strings. Okay. Okay. And with your right hand, you're playing the thinner strings. So you're playing bass and guitar and solos and melodies and everything all at the same time. Okay. But he mentioned during the clinic, he said, I got so far with guitar doing this that... I had to come up with an instrument that accompanied me better so right. that I could do it kind of all myself, the bass and everything. Yeah. And when he said that, I thought, ah, you know, and so when the clinic was done, I cornered him and I said, 
what were you talking about that yeah. that you went so far with guitar on that yeah and uh so he asked me he said well can i see your guitar and i said yeah and he just did like this pentatonic thing he says you know here's your left hand playing the regular a minor pentatonic yeah well you add your right hand on and you go and i went that is so awesome <laughs> you know and, and that was right in the beginning so i took everything yeah that I was learning all the triads, all the arpeggios, all the major scale shapes, and all the you know different modes, and I wrote it all down on these these sheets of paper that I made with a guitar graph, a guitar neck on it. Okay. The squares were my left hand, and the circles were my right hand. Okay. And so I'd write the notes down in order the way I was doing it, and wow. I did this with with all the theory that I was getting when I uh, played at the graduation ceremony. Yep. Um, in March of '79. Nobody had really seen me doing that. So I went up and I played three different songs. Yeah. And Tommy Tedesco mm -hmm. um, and Howard Roberts, who had written the whole curriculum, uh, they come up to me afterwards and they said, hey, you ever thought about doing a book? That's something that we haven't ever seen before. Yeah. And we think you should do a book. And I said, I already have one written. <laughs> and so they oh, said, wow. can we see it? You know, and so I, I showed them the... Uh, the papers that I had, and they said, wow, this just needs to be typeset. We need to take a few pictures yeah. of your hands for the more complex stuff. And we went in and did it. I went into a publisher that they were using. Within um, 10 minutes, I had it sold to the guy. You wow. Know, said, you don't even have to show me anymore. He said, You're, you got a publishing deal. So that was that. I had and, uh, no that idea. That was published in 1979. And then this guy named Eddie Van Halen came along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and kind of, uh, you know, he was using one finger on it, in which, you know, he's. Eddie's a great player. There's no doubt about that. But, yeah. um, he, you know, he was basically saying that he created it, you know, and I thought, no, no, there's guys that are, that are just way, way beyond what you're doing, including yeah. myself, actually. And, uh, uh, because I, I looked at it, you know, I'm, I'm not a competitive player at all. You know, I just, yeah. I just thought it was, he was jumping the gun a little bit on that because there were people like Emma Chapman. There were people like Johnny Lee or something back in the thirties, this jazz really? player that used to do it. Wow. Um, Johnny Smith, that was his name. Okay. And um, there's also this clip, if you Google this night guy from uh, Italy yep. in, in 1964, um, I can't think of his name, but if you, if you Google that, it's a black and white television show where they show him doing all the stuff on a classical guitar. Really? You know, so it's, it's been around for quite a while. It's not anything new. You know, it's just kind of surprising to hear somebody claim that that was their technique, you know, which I certainly never did that. I just, I just say that this is what I did with it. That's yeah. It. Yeah. I think that, you know, Eddie probably did bring it to the fore with Eruption, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. You know, when Eruption came out and his playing, and you know, he was a really great player. That was yeah. like 19, uh, I don't know, 78, 79, something like that. Um, and I heard it and I went, oh, yeah, he's, he's doing that technique, you know, and yeah. I didn't think, really think anything of it. I didn't think he, nobody had really heard it before. So yeah. I guess that's the reason why, you know, it, it, it helped contribute to the band taking off. You know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's kind of a shame that you'd been doing that for so long and, you know, did it in the shadows and then he comes up and, but you're right. He only played with, uh, you know, maybe one or two fingers, but you played with all eight. Yes. Yeah. And that was, that was how you kind of had to do it. Yeah. Basically there's only one way you can do it. And that's with all using all four fingers on your right hand. Yeah. Uh, especially when you look at hammerhead and liquid eyes, those, those are both, uh, solo pieces but you can see distinctively there's no other way that you can possibly play it yeah. without you you know all eight fingers no i've watched hammerhead a few times and it's it's mind-blowing it's fantastic that was a difficult one to do because i i tripled it in the studio that's three guitars that you're hearing oh really and then i had to duplicate it when i was doing 
to, to video too. So there's actually four guitars going on. <laughs> <laughs> but it took us a few takes. I, I said a lot of four-letter words in between takes, you know, but uh, we eventually got it. You know, but the timing's very difficult on it. I had uh, heard a story a little while ago that when Autograph opened for Van Halen for the, I think it was the 1984 tour, uh, mm-hmm. somebody approached you and, and said, you know, we don't really want you tapping because that's kind of Eddie's style. Is that true? Right. And uh, that, that was our tour manager. and He came up and said, you know, that's you can't do that on this tour. That's Eddie's thing. Oh, just, God. You know, can I use a pick? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> can I use a guitar? I mean, is this... I mean, can I play through an amp? I mean, really, I, I mean, I thought it was ridiculous because yeah. I, I kind of knew the history of it, that people had been doing it for, you know, like 50 years at that point, you know. And so, you know, I, I was like, are you are you serious? You know, and they were very serious. They, they threatened to kick us off the tour, possibly do my hands physical damage. They were brutal about it. Really? Yeah. Wow. Well, you know yeah. what? You know, if you think about it, I think that that's kind of a backhanded compliment for you because other guys by then had been doing it too. Like George Lynch, I think was doing mm-hmm. a little bit of it. And I mean, there were a million kind of clones of you guys, you know, right. by and that time. So the way I look at it is we kind of all grew up on the same bowl of Cheerios. Exactly. Um, like me and George and Eddie, we're all just a few months apart. I looked at the birth dates and I go, okay, so I'm like 10 days older than Eddie. Hmm. And um, so he was never an influence on me, but we all grew up listening to the same guys. But, you know, everybody has their own, you know, style of guitar players that they grew up with and tried to emulate. And then you get to a certain point where you don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. And that's when I stopped. I listened to Alan Holsworth and I figured out a bunch of his stuff. And that's why you can hear a little bit of the vibrato arm stuff and the, yeah. and the, um, the legato, legato type playing and my playing was that basically came from him. And a lot of my bending came from uh, Jeff Beck. Oh, really? I used to practice bending like he did, like the, like the full, whole step, half step. Yeah. You know, like uh, also that uh, uh, David Gilmore was doing from Big Floyd. Yes. And uh, but but Jeff Beck would do these like chromatic bends, and I thought that's just so cool. And the way he vibrato was just like really cool. So when you listen to all that, you know, that's basically Jeff Beck that that taught me all of that. You know. Cool. So Steve, what are you up to these days? I know that you're still playing with Autograph. How's that going? It's going great. We reformed uh, in uh, actually the latter part of 2013. The the original singer couldn't do it. He said his voice wouldn't do it, and he's he's doing well with his writing for TV and and uh, some movie stuff. And so turned us down and gave us this blessing okay. uh, to move forward. You know, and so we did. We found uh, a new singer through Larry Moran, the guy that puts on the Monsters of Rock cruises. Yeah, uh, Simon Daniels just worked out excellent. He used to be in a group in the 80s called Jailhouse, and he was actually going by Daniel uh, Simone back then. Okay. Our drummer, uh, the original drummer, Kenny Richards, yeah. uh, unfortunately, he had a drug problem, and, uh, you know, he showed up to rehearsal the second time, and he was he was pretty lit, and mm-hmm. I specifically told him, no drugs at all, you can't be doing drugs, none of that, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so the next rehearsal after that, you know, I was flying down from Seattle for rehearsal, and, and he never showed up to that one. So okay. I just said, you know, that's it. I don't think I want to do this. You know, people mm-hmm. are going to be that flaky. And then the singer, Simon, said, he said, well, wait, I, I know this guy. He's a great drummer that I played with in a group called Flood. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, bring him in. So we brought him in, and, and he just worked out perfectly. He was a great slamming drummer. And so so it just, and he's very pro, so it worked out great. We had to let Kenny go, unfortunately, but he, he really did have, you know, some, some issues with drugs. And, so, yeah. and then he recently... Um, Got uh, got killed actually about a you know about a year ago. Yeah, I read about that. 
yeah so unfortunately um that happened you know but uh i think he was hanging out with some real rough people yeah uh but anyway uh, you know we started playing in january of 2014 and everything's been going just fantastic i mean we're playing more gigs every year we played i think four of those monsters of rock cruises we've done a lot of uh, casinos, um, several uncountable uh, festivals and everything, and, and all these clubs that all the 80s bands are playing. So yeah. it's like a family reunion every time we do these <laughs> festivals. Monsters of Rock Cruises because it's all people that we that we know, yeah. you know, um, from the 80s, you know, from living in L.A. because all these bands were, were out of there, you know. So it's mm-hmm. just a really cool thing. Do you ever make it up to uh, Toronto, Steve? Oh, yeah. God, I'm trying to think of the, the club up there. Now I can't think of it. Um it's it's a big club, but I'm just blanking out on the name. Yeah, we've played a few few times in Toronto and um, a couple times up in Ottawa as well. Ah, okay. Well, hopefully you can get up um, here soon. Yeah, but I'll let you know next time we're up that way. Please do. Um, but now we're we're just released uh, our new album uh, a few months back. Yeah. Uh, back in October, actually, and uh, it's called "Get Off Your Ass." Yeah. And uh, <laughs> you know that's. Just one of those things where I just had it in my head, you know, I just drinking coffee one morning and kind of getting a real slow start. And and I thought, you know, I've got to get off my ass. You know, <laughs> as soon as I came up, that, I, I called up the singer and I said, I've got a great motivational song called Get Off Your Ass. You yeah. know, but it's it's positive. It's mo- motivational. Yeah. You know, and so we started tossing lyrics back and forth and everything. And next thing you know, we had the basics for a song down. And so. It came together really fast. Awesome. And, uh, but um, we released the first video for that, Get Off Your Ass, and and uh, it just it kind of skyrocketed. It got so many hits. And That's then great. Um, we made it to number 21 on the Billboard Classic Rock Charts, the album sales. Oh, wow. And we made it up to up to number nine on Classic Rock uh, Radio Play. That's so awesome. So I thought that was, that was pretty cool. And so now we're releasing a song called Every Generation. Okay. And uh, it's about you know each generation they think their their generation's the best and everything, but you know it's it's like uh, that's debatable. You know, I look at the generation that I came from, you know, the '60s and the '70s music, and that was the best to me. But then other, everybody has their own favorite type of music and everything. So it's all about that. It's all about one generation's not better than the other. It's just that it all kind of blends together. So you can look for that. That'll be on YouTube tomorrow as well. Great. It's called Every Generation. Okay, cool. And people could probably look on your Facebook page to see it there as well. Yeah, and you right? can also, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us also on autographband.com. Mm-hmm. And you can find everything that you need to know about where we're touring, when we're touring. And you, you want to check it because there's constantly dates being added on. Okay. You know, to where, you know, we'll be. Let's, so. get, a, let's get a Toronto date on there, Steve. Oh, yeah. It's, <laughs> we haven't been... We weren't there last year, so we're due for another trip up there. Awesome. Yeah. Well, let, so. If I can help out in any way with that, then then give me a shout for sure. Okay, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, just, hey, you know, just let me know. I'll forward the information to our booking agent, and they can take it from there. Awesome. All right, sir, shall we get into your tunes here? Sure, absolutely. We have got an excellent list. Uh, I've got your list here. It kicks off with the Rolling Stones and Sympathy for the Devil. The first time I heard that, it really drew me in because of the um, the percussion in the beginning and the way it builds up. Yeah. And the way that Mick Jagger, you know, starts in with, please allow me to introduce myself. And I just thought, that's really a cool way, you know, to start off a song. It's almost like starting off a novel, yeah. you know, and he was very lyrical like that, where some of his songs were like stories. And um, that was one of them that really stuck out. 
my favorite Stones era was that era. Me too. Of that, of that time, you know. And I just I just absolutely loved it. I thought they were at their peak with writing and everything. And um, so yeah, I just I just loved it. Every time it comes on the radio, I crank it up and I sing along with it and everything. And yeah, it's one of my all time favorite songs. Yeah, I think that's the Stones at their peak. You know, Beggar's Banquet, Let It Bleed, Sticky yes, Fingers, and Exile. Exactly. Yeah, my favorite too. You know, let me ask Yaw, you. Yaw's out, all that stuff. But Let It Bleed, that's like, what a great album. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. So let me ask you a question, Steve, as a guitar player. So I love Sympathy for the Devil. The solo, you know, the melody of the solo contributes to the overall quality of the song. But what do you think of how it was produced? I thought it was produced really good because I liked the, the female background vocals that they brought in. Yeah. I liked what Keith Richards did in it because it wasn't it, more of a solo it was more kind of like a melody line yeah exactly. and i really liked that about a lot of bands back then was they they didn't concentrate on a real blazing solo they they really concentrated on something that really fit the song well and yeah. and, and helping to create the mood that was already created within the song and that's what i've always tried to do in my solo it's not like okay now's my time to show off you know yeah it's not like that i try to do something melodic that really fits the song itself now i was just gonna say you know i love that solo but i always found it was just it was so shrill and i always wondered why they produced it that way you know do you know what i mean yeah i think that um it sounds like a Telecaster being played through a, a Fender Deluxe. I mean, that's what it yeah. sounds like to me, but maybe that's just what Keith wanted at the time. Yeah, it's super trebly. And yeah, it, oh yeah. I always think if you played that through like the rhythm pickup of a Les Paul, it would sound so much smoother, you know what I mean? It probably would have. It probably would have, absolutely. Yeah. But it, just for some reason, it's it was just the times and... And, you know, but it still fit the song, you know, so. Oh, yeah, for sure. And and you know what? On the other side of that, I mean, that's part of the Rolling Stones allure, right? You think about Exile and how, how kind of rough that and, and organic it sounds, you know. Right. That, that, that's part of that era that we were talking about that makes it great. It's just very kind of raw. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next song here is uh, Led Zeppelin and Ramble On. Again, I like the the percussion in the beginning of it yep. and i just think that the the uh, acoustic guitar riff that just really pulls you into it mm -hmm. and i love the way robert plant comes in uh, you know with the lyrics and everything and it just carries on and then they have this heavy chorus that comes in you know when he first sings ramble on yeah uh now's the time the time is now to sing your song um and i just thought wow what a cool sing-along song that's when robert plant was really into writing the lyrics on the first album, they did a lot of blues covers. Yeah. And he didn't write most of the lyrics on that. I think um, maybe Good Times, Bad Times, and um, Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You. But I think even that was an old blues song. Yeah. They kind of formed into like a classical feel. But um, the second album, you know, I love, those are my two favorite albums from them is the first and the second one to this day because it just was at a time in my life where it really affected me. And, and, uh, you know, the dynamics of that one just really pulled me in. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, that first album, when it came out, it was a game changer. People were probably like, holy shit, what is this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, it was kind of cool. He he kind of gets into the little bit of the Lord of the Rings lyrics in there. and everything. Yeah, That's like, right. Oh, it's cool. When I heard that because I had, I, had, I had read, you know, The Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings trilogy and everything at that time. So they recorded that uh the first album, in uh, the very beginning of 1969, they recorded the second album at the end of 1969. So both those albums came out the same year. Yeah, 
which is crazy if you think about it. Yeah, you know? that means a lot of work, especially when you're touring all the time. That's just like, how do you find, you're, you're working constantly. Uh, I like that about that era, you know, and, and Kiss used to do that too. The albums used to come out like every six months. You know? Right, and same thing with, with Hendrix. Look how much material he put out. Yeah. He was only popular realistically for four years. Exactly. A lot of people don't look at it that way. Yeah. But yeah, his popularity... Uh, realistically it was only for yeah like three and a half years because you look at it 67 to 1970 that's right because uh, are you experienced came out in 1967 yeah. and then he passed away september 18th of 1970 yeah i i had the fortune of seeing him twice live so that was really cool oh did you really wow yeah that's Once awesome. in 1967, I was 12 years old when he played at the Seattle Coliseum, and then a second time when he played six Seattle Stadium, a part of the University of Washington, played an outdoor show there, and I got to see him. And not too long after that was when he passed away, actually. Wow. That's crazy. So that's actually a good segue into your next tune, which is The Wind Cries Mary by Hendrix. Yeah, that's another one. I just love the guitar in that, the way that he uses that clean Strat sound on the rhythm pickup, and he's, and he's strumming... Um, well, basically, he's playing the root in the fourth and the root in the fourth again. Okay. When he's doing that chromatic climb up, it's like from the, uh, I think it's the sixth, seventh, and eighth, or eighth, ninth, and tenth fret. And I just thought, that just sounds really cool. And then throughout his solo and everything, it's all based on fourths, those double note stops and stuff. And he was sliding and, and uh, you know, doing hammer-ons and pull-offs with those. I thought that just sounded really cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There was nobody like Hendrix. You know, and now it, he just came up with some really unique stuff. I had never heard anybody do a solo that was based out of fourths like that. Yeah. And so he was grabbing stuff from different types of music, and which I really appreciated. And and he was a blues guy. I mean, he his his guy was Muddy Waters. Yeah. You know, um, because there wasn't a lot when he was playing. You know, back in the fifties. I mean, you think who other than the rockabilly guys? And there were some really good players when you know that were playing rockabilly. And the jazz guys and the early blues players, and he was influenced by the early blues guys. Yeah, absolutely exceptional. So, Steve, your next tune is a pick that I love. It's uh, somebody that a lot of people forget about, Charlie Sexton. And the tune is a cover, Cry Little Sister. Right. And that one, when I first heard that, I thought, how modern. Yeah. How unique. He doesn't sound like anybody. I thought the production was absolutely superb on it. Yeah. And again, that one just had, you know, the emotioner's voice when he's singing Cry Little Sister. I mean, that just, I just went, whoa, that's, oh, yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. I even talked to his um, manager and was trying to find out how to get a hold of him. His manager said, oh, he moved back to Austin, Texas. You know, this isn't. The whole Hollywood thing isn't really a scene, you know. Then he went back and started playing, like, in clubs and stuff back in Austin. And I thought, wow, this guy should have been super, super famous because his even his own songs and um, the covers that he did and everything, it was it was really unique but he, because he put his own twist on it, you know, and it, it sounded very genuine. And he had that look of, like, a, a futuristic 50s guy. Yes. Yeah. He, he kind of had that, you know... Johnny Depp, Matt Dillon thing yes. going on that was or, the, um, you know, like Rick Nelson or, or even Elvis Presley or yeah. any of those guys, you know, where they just had that kind of that kind of look that just like really appealed. They look like a lead singer, you yeah. know. I mean, you look at him and go, that guy's a lead singer. Yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. He was with the Archangels later on, I think. Right? He he started playing with guys from Stevie Ray Bond's band Double Trouble, and uh, I think that was like in the in the early '90s, right after he covered Cry oh. Little Sister. Oh, really? Oh, I yeah. didn't even know about that. Okay. 
Yeah. He, uh, well, they're both, they're both Texas guys. You know, they kind of all hang out together. All the guys from ZZ Top and all that, all those guys, they all hang in together, you know? So, yeah. No, I, I always loved his cover of this tune. I think that, you know, it was a Lost Boys soundtrack song, I think, right? Right. I, I remember hearing it then. And then I heard his right. version and he just punches up the chorus. It's so intense. Yeah. I mean, his vocals on that, I just went, wow, that's, that's really intense. This guy has a great voice. You yeah. Know? Yeah. He can really sing. His big single, I think it was called Beat So Lonely. Is that right? Around 85? Yeah, I think something like that. Yeah. 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 And I'd, have to, I'd have to hear it again. I was listening, you know, like about a year ago, I was listening to some of his songs. And I went, God, this, this stuff's just brilliant. It's so far ahead of its time. Yeah. I think it was too far ahead of his time, actually. It could have been. I remember he was making a quite a name for himself back then, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah he was. But uh, for some reason, I don't know, it was management, the record company. He just didn't get the right kind of push behind him. Yeah. And uh, because he should have been world famous. You know, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. Okay, next tune, my friend, is by Small Faces. It's Ichiku Park. Great pick. Yeah. I love the lyrics in it. I love Steve Marriott's voice. You know, when he's singing soft, you know, it's like he's like got a great voice. He's a great guitar player. And just the way that song was arranged, it was so perfect for the time. It's got these really psychedelic parts in it that are reminiscent of the of the 60s and, and the English guys and all that. And, yeah. and uh, I just thought, you listen to it again today and you just go, wow, this is, it's really cool. Everybody I've ever played it for, you know, I had to, have you ever heard of Itchy Cooper? You know, they go, no, huh? Well, check it out. And then I play it for them, you know, and they go, wow, that's great. Is yeah. that new? And I go, no, this is from the 60s. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Now, are you uh, are you a Faces fan as well? Yeah, I really did love the Faces. Absolutely. I uh, I was talking to somebody a little while ago, and they said, you know, I, I asked them the same question. They said, no, I, w- I wasn't. And I said, well, how couldn't you be? And they said, well, when Marriott left to form Humble Pie, and I guess it was Rod Stewart and, yeah. and, and and Ronnie Wood who came in. He said it just changed the complexion of the band, and I just never really got into them. Yeah, and I got into Humble Pie too with yeah. Peter Ga- Peter um, Frampton and everything in there, and so I thought it was like a super band. And uh, but yeah, I loved I loved Faces and and I loved both of them. So yeah, of me course, too. Um, uh, Humble Pie was a little bit harder edge and more blues based. Yeah. Next tune is And I Love Her by The Beatles. Yeah, that's one of those that just, it's timeless. Every time I hear it, I go, God, what a well-written song. And that's basically George Harrison. And I remember there was a comment about it one time from uh, Frank Sinatra, and Frank Sinatra said it's the most beautiful love song ever written. Oh, really? Yeah, he loved that song. I I think he did a version of it, too. Did he? Oh, I don't know. That's quite an accolade. Yeah. Jeez. Well, you know, the Beatles catalog is so vast, right? I mean, oh yeah, you could literally throw a dart at their collection, and but yeah, I, I don't know. The, the Beatles are funny because um, everybody's got one of those songs, probably a couple actually, that really kind of make your skin vibrate, right? Right, right. But yeah, that's a great pick. Your last tune, Steve, is also by Led Zeppelin, and it's one of my fave Zepp tunes, too. I love this. It's on like a, a playlist uh, that's just super chill for me. It's called The Rain Song. Yes. The reason I love that song is because you listen to it, and it takes you to a different place. Yeah. It just does. It just it just pulls you in, and then it takes you on this journey. Yeah. And, and it's so laid back. And what I love about it is... They, like a lot of other bands from that time era, they didn't write songs for radio. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. They wrote songs about what they've experienced, about the way they feel. Yeah. Um, it sh they shared their emotions in their songs. Th they just didn't care about, like, Pink Floyd could care less about having a song on the radio. Led Zeppelin ran their songs together, and they absolutely, they never released a single. Yeah. The, the radio stations had to play their songs off a full album. They wouldn't release a single. They refused to. I love and that. And I thought that, yeah, I thought it was really cool that they did that because they didn't want to be commercially successful. They didn't do many interviews. And Jimmy Page said the reason why was because he said, just listen to the music. Mm -hmm. We don't need to do an interview. The music talks for itself. That's who we are. That's a great point. You know, I thought that's really cool. That's really quite the statement, you know. Yeah. And, and it definitely shows in that song in particular because it's it's a long song, but you don't get bored with it because the guitar parts are so brilliant in it. Yes. I thought, you know, he, he made a deal with the devil to write that one, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, which which I've heard he did, but you know I don't I don't believe in those rumors anyway. He, yeah, I read this interview with him and he said, "Oh no, that's all hogwash." But he was into the occult for a while. Bought all the not all the actually. Um, Alistair Crowley. Uh, yeah, yeah, Crowley's place, and I think that's still one of his homes now, the one up in Scotland. And um, so yeah, he was he was into that stuff for a while. In fact, there was a whole hippie movement that did kind of drift off into the the occult there for a while but um, he doesn't take it too seriously well great tune and again like the beatles i mean it's just, just a vast catalog of, of really rich material right and in a, right. a and relatively could, short time span on and on. those were the ones that just popped right out at me yeah you know and a lot of people would think okay me being an 80s guitar player you know well why wouldn't you know some of the heavier stuff like deep purple or something like that and i go deep purple great yeah but they didn't write the kind of material that really affected me yes. like these other songs and other bands did yeah and i'm so glad that you did it that way because you know the ethos that i'm trying to capture here is those songs that really make you feel something you know? right yeah right. Yeah, so very well done. Great list. And uh, Steve, I want to thank you for your time today because uh, we had some Skype technicalities. Uh, you're a super patient guy, and I thank you for hanging in with me today. Oh, no worries. I had a busy day, so I just worked around it. No problem at all. Good man. And you know, I, I'm going to tell you something before we uh, close off here. I admired you quite a lot as a, as a kid, as a teenager. And, uh, you know, it's nice to, uh, first of all, to meet people that you admired as a kid, but to find out that they're actually quality people. So, you know, I appreciate that too. Oh, thank you very much for that. Yeah, absolutely. You're very absolutely. welcome. Let's get you up to Toronto for, uh, for, for a show with us. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Got to get back to Canada soon. Steve, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. Okay, you're very welcome. All right. Thanks, Steve. Take good care. Okay, you bet. All right. This has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen and my very special guest, Mr. Steve Lynch. Till next time, folks. Take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon Worldwide. <laughs>